the Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity. Let me remind you um, a couple of key principles that we've been keeping in mind. The progressive Christian often comes from a genuine place of trying to reconcile Scripture, the message of Scripture, with worldly wisdom. Here's the way the world is thinking about culture, science, marriage, family, morality. How do we reconcile that with what the Bible has said? That's the approach. And in many cases, you could say, right, genuine. They're, they're trying to keep the Bible. Unfortunately, as we've been saying each week, what they end up holding on to are half-truths. And half-truths are often a great lie. And so what begins as a pretty honest endeavor to have the Bible and worldly wisdom ends up in a place that resembles no orthodoxy at all, right? What we take on in this little booklet is way down the line, right? So we talk about Jesus not being the object of worship. That was commandment one. Now, many progressives, I mentioned that there's a vein of this in our denomination. I would be surprised if you found a progressive Christian in the Christian Reformed Church who would say, Jesus is not God. They probably would still have some of these things. What we're saying the issue is, and we've seen this for years and years and years and years and years, we went all the way back to 1799 when we started this all, is the way this goes when you're so married to worldly wisdom is it will trend away from orthodox Christianity. It will. It has always. Okay, we said the progressive Christian emphasizes human intuition at the expense of the authority of Scripture. We have progressed. Humanity, human wisdom, has progressed over time. So Paul could know nothing of what we know about the world and how the body works and how the mind works and what a spirit is. We are better now. We have better human intuition than the Bible could give us, right? The, the Bible is subject to what we've learned, okay? And so you end up with a lot of these things. Uh, commandment one, they would say Jesus is a model for living more than an object for worship. Number two was affirming people's potential is more important than reminding them of their brokenness. What did we say? Sin is a big freaking deal. If sin isn't a big deal, neither is the cross, and that's why Jesus isn't an object for worship. The work of reconciliation should be valued over making judgments. We want people to get along. We want to be nice. Four, gracious behavior is more important than right belief. Those two often go hand in hand, right? I'm not too worried about believing the same as the next person. I just need to respect them. The problem is, as we saw, is this often is very ironic. You don't believe right, so get out of here, says the progressive at times to us. You're too fundamentalist. Well, aren't you making a judgment on my belief, which you said I couldn't say to you, right? The, the tables are not equal. 
That brings us to five and six, which hopefully you read in advance of this, but I'll just give you a, a little synopsis. It begins on page 25. I think the uh, crux of the issue in both commandment five and commandment six is uh, the relativizing of truth. So can truth be absolute over time and space? Are there things that are just true? Is two plus two four always? Yeah, yeah. The progressive would agree with that, by the way. But there's a movement in culture that says uh, we can we cannot really know with much certainty very much. It's not much we can know with real certainty, right? And so they say in Commandment five, inviting questions is more valuable than supplying answers. Now, I gave a little shot at the denomination last week, and I will again. If you read a lot of the things that come in some of our publications, it has a lot to do with wondering. Wonder is an important word in the de- denomination, or, or sitting with, or, or thinking through, right? There's this attitude that we, we just have to be thoughtful. One of my favorite quotes, and I don't think it's a Christian quote, uh, but I love it. It says, an open mind is like an open mouth. It's meant to close on something. But the attitude in progressive Christianity is just openness for openness sake. The best posture is an open posture. And we would say, yes, be open-minded, right? We're supposed to be like Acts 17 in Berea, critically minded people that put the Bible to some historical tests, some uh, reasonable uh, Tests of philosophy, right? It ought to make sense. We're not asking you to believe something stupid and not test it. We want to invite questions, but ultimately we need to supply answers. Kruger writes on page 26 in the middle, I suspect that part of the issue in play here is that progressives, thinks, progressives think it is intellectually irresponsible, irresponsible to make the kind of truth claims that Christians have historically made. You can't claim that to be absolutely true. There are more factors. We have more information now. He says on the next page, the only way the progressive argument works is if one already knows, he puts this in quotation marks, here's the irony again, the Bible is not the word of God and therefore can declare all its truth claims to be dubious, right? You have to come to a place where you know with certainty that the Bible is not absolutely true. But you're making a truth claim in claiming that the Bible is not absolutely true, right? You start pushing these things all the way down the line and you have real problems, okay? Can we know anything for certain? And the progressive says, yes, the only thing I can know for certain is that you can know nothing for certain. The next page, he sums up commandment five. Here, as in many other instances, Gully, who is the progressive we're taking on, simply simply smuggles his certainty through the back door. Progressives are quick to condemn all sorts of behavior they see in the world around them. We gave the example of racism last week. While insisting that Bible-believing Christians are wrong when they do so. And then at the bottom, thus, one gets the impression that the real issue is not certainty at all. It is what one is certain about. Progressives have simply swapped one set of certain beliefs for another. We all have things we are certain about, things we believe to be true and real. 
The key question involves the basis for our certainty. Christians base their certainty on God's word. Right? We hold God's word to be absolutely true, a high authority for us, certainly way high and above human intuition. The progressives have flipped that. The Bible is subject to human intuition. And chapter 6, commandment 6, goes right along with that same thing. If we can't know things for certain, the institution of the church can have no dogma. There can be nothing that the church holds that we can't tweak or test or change based on what we learn. The church can teach nothing with absolute certainty. Commandment 6 says, encouraging the personal search is more important than group uniformity. Kruger writes on page 30, the problem is that hidden within this approach is an enormous and unspoken assumption, namely that God has not clearly revealed himself, nor has he clearly revealed the message about salvation. Indeed, the assumption underlying this entire progressive narrative is that religion is about humans finding God rather than about God who has revealed himself to humans. And then he sums up everything in the uh, missing the message paragraph that begins on 32. I think this applies to both commandments, 5 and 6. Thus, I believe the sixth progressive commandment suffers from a number of assumptions or misunderstandings. It assumes there's no absolute truth without proving such a thing. It assumes that the church doesn't welcome questions when, generally speaking, it does. That's my experience. And it, misunderst it misunderstands the nature and purpose of church discipline, which is for the good of the recipient. Even more fundamentally, the progressive position misses the core Christian message. Christianity is not about mankind's never-ending journey to God, but about God's completed journey to us, to save us from our sins. As John reminds us, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So as you read chapters 5 and 6, or heard the, that little paragraph synopsis of each, what thoughts or questions do you have? 